Can you believe that? No. All right, get your Bibles out this morning, if you would. You're all familiar with this quote, right? There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. Amen to that. Heavenly Father, as we come to you and open our Bibles and want to hear from you this morning, we ask that you prepare my heart and that you would speak through me to bring you glory and to build your church. It is not about me, it is about you. And may all of our lives resemble that truth. Amen. Well, we talked about what the Bible says about a family and marriage, and this next sermon, next title is going to kind of tie into that, as you'll see. But we're going to talk about actually what the Bible says about false religion. I think you'll find this maybe eye-opening and, and interesting. But we'll begin by talking about created for fellowship. Um, from the very beginning, mankind was created to be obviously in a relationship with God, fellowship. Um, I've said this before, you may remember this, that in Genesis, we find that Adam and Eve actually walked with God before the fall of man. Uh, So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That means that God is never in Houston, Texas. I lived there, and it was never the cool of the day. (laughs) It was always hot and humid. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So God's walking with them. He is literally walking with them. That must have been something. But after the fall of man, the innate desire to know and be known by the supernatural, that still existed even though man's nature has been corrupted by sin. Okay? This now corrupted religious bent it manifested itself in a variety of religious systems. Now, Romans 1 tells us that even though humanity rejects the truth of God, right? What do they do? They then manufacture their own religions. Romans 1, 23, just listen to this. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for what? The image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They created idols to worship. Man will always turn to religion because he has a drive built in him from who? God. To know the supernatural. Now, who else knows about this drive? Well, that's Satan. He knows how powerful this drive is, so one of his strategies is to deceive mankind to create false systems of religion. And the first individual man-made religious attempt to reach God was through who? Cain. What did Cain do, remember? Through his unacceptable sacrifices. Now Cain was not of the offspring of of the Messiah. He was the offspring of, either the offspring of God or the offspring of Satan. 
He was the offspring of Satan. And it was obviously inspired by Satan to do what he did. Now Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 about Satan. He calls him the God of this world. And what has he done? He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they, met, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You've all shared your faith with somebody that just doesn't get it, right? A basic, simple message, they don't get it, it's because they're blinded, okay? So the reason there are religions all over the world is because of man's bent towards religion and Satan's desire to deceive him into believing false systems of religion. But the question I have for us is where did all these false systems of religions begin? That's kind of what we're going to answer. So, as always, it's in the beginning. So get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 11. The longer I study the Bible, the more I, I find myself going back to Genesis, because it all goes from there. It all starts there. And it all started on the plain of Shinar in Genesis chapter 11. Did I put that up there? Yeah, Genesis chapter 11. Is everybody there? Starting in verse one. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city in a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 11, one through four. Now, I wanna be clear from the very beginning. I used to think, and maybe you did too, that they were actually trying to build a tower to climb into heaven. You never think that? Shannon and I are honest. No one else here is. I grew up on pictures of the Tower of Babel reaching high into the heavens like this one. You ever see something like this? Okay. Yeah. Of course, this led me to believe that man's intention was to actually build a tower that would reach heaven so they could be like God. Because isn't that what Satan tempted Eve to do? Be like God? But the word heaven here simply refers to the skies. But the question is, well, what were they building and this is where if you do your research, it'll open up the scripture to you big time. They were building what is commonly known as a ziggurat. I think that's how you say it. What's a ziggurat? Anyone know what a ziggurat is? Well, it kind of looks like this. Is that the next picture? Yeah. And according to N.S. Gill, a ziggurat, it's a very ancient and massive building structure of a particular shape that served as part of a religious temple complex. Okay, it kind of looks like, doesn't that, like you see the um, Aztecs and those, their buildings that they would have and so on, that would be another form of a ziggurat, okay? All right? Now ziggurats like 
most temple structures from various regions, and there's still remnants of some of these ziggurats in the world today, they were conceived as homes for the local gods. While there is no evidence to suggest that they were used as locations for public worship, it's, the text is clear what they were worshiping in Genesis 11. Who were they worshiping? Well, it was self, a form of idol worship. Because the text does not say in Genesis 11 that God commanded his creation to build this tower. What the text does say is that his creation chose to build this monument because three times in Genesis 11, verses three and four, we find the phrase, let us. So it's easy to conclude that they were building a tower or a monument to their own man-made religion in an attempt to reach God. And history tells us that a ziggurat had on the top of it, now catch this, a zodiac. What's a zodiac? Now the priests of this particular religious system or any religious system, they hoped to gain the information they needed from the stars in Genesis 11. But amongst other things, this was the birthplace of astrology in Genesis 11, that's what you're reading. Now, astrology, I mean, if you define it and you look it up, um, it's defined as any of a various ceremonial, religious, and divinatory practices which claim to discern information about human affairs uh, by studying the movements of stars and so on, celestial objects. But more importantly, right here in Genesis 11 was the beginning of all systematized false religion in the worship of devil and demons. What do you mean the worship of devil and demons? Well, how many gods are there? There's only one God. Every other so-called gods or small g gods is only a demon. Did you know that? Deuteronomy 32:17 says they, this is God speaking to the Israelites, they sacrificed to demons who were not God, capital G, to God, small g, whom they have not known. So the sacrifice to these gods was nothing more than a demon. So behind every false god is a demon or Satan himself. So what was happening at the Tower of Babel was what then? Demonic worship. Did you know that? So any worship, folks, other than to the one true God is demonic worship. Now here's the thing. The man behind the building of the Tower of Babel is absolutely fascinating. And his name was Nimrod. And it's, you say it, it's kind of fun, don't be Nimrod and so on, it's right? You've been influenced by him far more than you care to believe. He's mentioned in Genesis 10, verses 8 through 12. Let's talk about, and this is not an exaggeration, mighty Nimrod. So get Genesis chapter 10, starting in verse 8. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one of, on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, and the land of Shinar. 
From that land, he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, June, Rehoboth Ear and Kela. Why can they have normal names back then that we can pronounce? And reason, resin, between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Now here's the thing. Nimrod was, of course, the, the son of Cush. He was the grandson of Ham, which would have made him what? The great-grandson of Noah, righteous Noah. Okay? Nimrod was also the founder and king of the first empire to come into existence after the flood. Because look at all the places he's conquering. So he was a tyrant. Okay? His name, Nimrod, actually means rebel. Rebel. So he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is a very confusing passage. And if, until you do your work on it, it makes no sense. This phrase has been leading because a mighty hunter before the Lord literally means presumptuous in the presence of God. It is also translated against or in opposition. So Nimrod was a mighty hunter in defiance of Jehovah. And start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Here's Nimrod defying God. What's he building? A ziggurat. And what's it? What's the purpose of it? Like worship, idol worship, and so on. And now, according to the historian Josephus in Jewish antiquities, and by the way, Josephus is, is probably the most respected ancient history scholar there is. He wrote this. It says, Nimrod, little by little, transformed the state of affairs into a tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his own power. He threatened to have his revenge on God if God wished to inundate the earth again, meaning do what? Bring another flood. For he would build a tower higher than the water could reach, there you go, and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. The people were eager to follow this advice of Nimrod, deeming it slavery to submit to God. So they set out to build the tower, and it rose with a speed beyond all expectation. Now that gives you a little bit of a different take of the story of the Tower of Babel, doesn't it? Now, Babel, and this is absolutely crucial for you to get this, it is also translated, you can say it, Mark, you said it today in Sunday school, Babylon. Okay? And you should probably take out your, 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 your pen or pencil and either make a note or scratch out Babel and put over it Babylon. And Babylon was a most religious place. Evidence from excavations and from ancient texts points the existence of more than 50 temples. And the principal god of the imperial city was Marduk, called Merodach in the Bible. Guess what? They said, let us build this tower, and it was the worship of self and man-made religion. Nimrod was deified 
as Marduk, and he was worshipped. In fact, after their deaths, Nimrod and his wife Semiramis, who's the ancient queen of heaven, we'll get down in a minute here, were confirmed by their priests as gods and given homage as Marduk and Ashtarte. Numerous other gods were patterned and fashioned after Nimrod and his mother. Okay? The false, false gods Bel and Baal were the primary names by which other nations were introduced to the worship of Marduk. So, again, where is it all beginning? Right there in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Babylon. Triads of deities were also prominent in the Babylonian region. Trinities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Triads of deities. Here's one of them. Uh, two gods and a goddess. One was, the god was Sin, the moon god, Shemesh, the sun god, and Ishtar. These were said to be the rulers of the zodiac. So Babylon was full of idol worship. And the prophet Jeremiah spoke of Babylon as a land of idols. He says this in Jeremiah 50, verses 1 and 2. So listen to this. The words which the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, through Jeremiah the prophet. Now this is Babylon during the time of Daniel, later in the Bible. It says, declare and proclaim among the nations, proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel, remember that God, the mother God? Sun worship, Bel, B-E-L, has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. That's the mother of Nimrod and Nimrod. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. Now, let me take a break here. Moses is the author of Genesis. Did you not know that? He wrote Genesis. And I want you to see this, take a step back and get the... Uh, the bigger picture here, because this point is very, very clear. As humanity increased in number, the way of God was corrupted due to the fallen, sinful, evil heart. And in Genesis 6, verse 5, what happened? It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God wipes out humanity through a flood and starts over with the family of righteous Noah. Folks, we go from Genesis 6 to Genesis 11. We are only three generations from Noah. And what is humanity doing? They're openly rebelling against God again, led into false worship of idols by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah. We can't help ourselves. From the time of the building of the Tower of Babel onward, you need to know this, Babylon in Scripture always stands for that which is in opposition to God. But this rebellion led by Nimrod, it doesn't last for long. Look at Genesis 11, verse 5. It says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, 
let us, capital U, go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So the Lord confused their languages and scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. Now you kind of know why, right? The sword isn't in there. I want to point this out to you. God's mandate for humanity is to do what? Back in the garden. Multiply and fill the earth. That's Genesis 1.28. Now Satan, through Nimrod, is doing the opposite. He is trying to what? Unite humanity in one place. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And he works through Nimrod in opposing God. But this next point is absolutely crucial to understand. Because at Babel was the real beginning of false systems of religion. Everybody was one at the time of the Tower of Babel in the sense that phones should be turned off. (laughs) Oh, I gotta give her a hard time. I needed some levity in this sermon anyway, so it worked out well, Angela. So, because it's a pretty heavy sermon. You guys follow me okay? Okay, good, good. Um, Everybody was, in the sense, one, everyone was gathered there, the Tower of Babel. When God scattered them all over the place, they took what was left in their minds of this false religion, and they formulated it culturally wherever they happened to go and in whatever language they now happened to speak. Okay? And this is so important because you know, all the major religions that you find throughout the world today have basically the same ingredients. Why? Because where they originally come from? Babel. In this event we're reading. All false religions then stem from Babel and are nothing but the worship of demons. So whether you're talking about the Babylonian god Marduk, okay, or the Assyrian god Ashur, or the Greek god Zeus, or the Roman god Jupiter, or Apollo, or whether you're talking about a nature god like Ra, the Egyptian sun god, or whether you're talking about paganism or something as sophisticated as Hinduism, it's all the same format, and it all stemmed from the same satanic source at Babel. See, it all goes back there. The false religious systems that originated in Babel, folks, they are an abomination to God. I think I put this up here for you. Yeah, look at this. It's like, are we good now? Okay. We need some levity because this is a pretty serious sermon. So, um, I want you to see this. This is what false religions are to God. You see this? This is Jeremiah, and there's a reason why I'm sticking to Jeremiah. You'll see in a minute here. They built the high places of Baal that are in the. Again, that's who is that? 
Where did this begin? Who is that referring to? It's another name for... Yeah. They built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this what? Abomination to cause Judah to sin. So the worship of idols and all the practices of that is an abomination to God. But it also makes their followers play the role of a harlot. See this? The Lord said to me, to Josiah the king, have you seen what faith is Israel did? She went up on every high hill under every green tree and what's she worshiping? Idols. And she was a harlot there. Now as I said earlier, these false system, religious systems all follow the same basic format. I'm going to give you two examples of this found again in the book of Jeremiah. But I want you to keep in mind that what I just read at Genesis or Jeremiah 32 and Jeremiah 3, and what I'm going to read to you, it's in the book of Jeremiah. That is over 2,000 years after the Tower of Babel. And it's still there. Now God says this to Jeremiah. Did I put that up here? Yeah. This is going to be crucial to understand as well. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. So there's the phrase, queen of heaven. Everyone turn your Bibles. It's going to be a hard one to Jeremiah chapter 44. Jeremiah chapter 44. While you're going there, just, you can just listen. But this had become a family affair to the nation of Israel and to Judah. The children are participating in the worship of the Queen of Heaven. The fathers are participating in this worship. And the mothers, they're all very active. They're making these cakes. They are pouring out drink offerings to other gods. Okay? Jeremiah 44, verses 15 to 19. Babylon, through Nebuchadnezzar, has already destroyed Jerusalem. This is the remnant that's left over. Okay? And they were told to stay in the land and that God would bless them but they're afraid, and so they don't listen to God and the prophet Jeremiah, and they go to Egypt. So this is after all this destruction has taken place, the siege of Jerusalem, where they were, they were destroyed by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. I mean, it was gross what was happening to them. Verse 15, Then all the men who were aware that their wives were bringing sacrifices to other gods, along with all the women who were standing by as a large assembly, including all the people who were living in Pathros in the land of Egypt, they responded to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had said, don't go to Egypt, stay here, or else you will fall by the sword. You will die. They said this, verse 16, as for the message that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we are not going to listen to you. Folks, they had just been, 
their nation has just been destroyed. Daniel has been taken back to Babylon to serve King. I mean, this is how bad it is and how stubborn are their hearts. Verse 17, but rather we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to who? The queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her. Just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings and our princes did in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no misfortune. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have met our end by the sword and by famine. And, said the women, when we were burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and were pouring out drink offerings to her, was it without our husbands that we made for her sacrificial cakes in her image and poured out drink offerings to her? So their husbands were approving what they were doing. Now the question is, when you get through that, I'm just trying to show you that it's in, this is recorded in the text, this worship of the queen of heaven. I mean, who is this queen of heaven? Well, you're going to find out now. Nimrod had a wife, and his wife's name was Semiramis. She was the queen of Babel. Now, when Babel got scattered by God, the whole system revolving around Semiramis went with it, the whole religious system. And Semiramis became so well-known around the world that every system of religion goes back to her. For example, in Assyria and Nineveh, they worship a woman called Ishtar. That's Semiramis in their language. In Phoenicia, it was Ashtaroth. In Egypt, it was Isis. Recognize that name? In Greece, it was Aphrodite. And in Rome, it was Venus. But its origins go back to Genesis chapter 11, Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis. Okay? Now, the story of Semiramis is this, and this is where it gets really interesting. She conceived a son, but not by a man, but by a sunbeam. She named him Tammuz and offered this son as a promised deliverer. So what do you think Satan was counterfeiting there? The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. When Tammuz grew up, a wild boar killed him. But you know what happened? Here we go, because we talked about this today. You mentioned this, Shannon, believe it or not. After 40 days of his mother's crying, he arose. What do you think Satan was counterfeiting there? The resurrection of the Son of God. This is where Shannon mentioned this in Sunday school. She had no idea what she was mentioning. Want to know something else? For a long time, the Roman church has celebrated a period of time known as Lent. How long is it? 40 days. Do you find anywhere in the Bible a 40-day period between the death and resurrection of Christ? Of course not. It doesn't exist. You know where that comes from now. It comes from the worship of Semiramis in Tammuz. It has nothing to do with Christianity at all. Now, in the story of Semiramis and Tammuz was born the mother-child cult. For example, if you go to Phoenicia, you would find that child in Phoenicia is called Baal. In Greece, it's called Eros. In Rome, it's that little child Cupid. 
but it's all the same thing. It's all the mother-child cult that Satan began. And where did it begin? Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Okay? Now, why do you think Satan began that? Well, he wanted to provide in the midst of the world a counterfeit to Christianity that he knew was coming, right? In Genesis 3, that there would be a, a, a deliverer from the uh, line of Eve. And he wanted to confuse the issue. Now, the worship of Samaritans involved the following. They'd make an offering of a wafer or cakes to her other name, Queen of Heaven. We just read that in Genesis, Jeremiah. The Queen of Heaven is Semiramis. Going back to where again? The Tower of Babel. And that was written how many thousands of years ago? After Babel. Over 2,000 years ago. There was also 40 days of Lent and weeping for Tammuz before the feast which celebrated his resurrection. You can read about that in Ezekiel 8, 14 and 15. There were burnt sacrifices and drink offerings to Semiramis, the queen of heaven, not to mention the involvement of priests, sacramental rites, dedication of virgins, and catch this, purgatory. And you may be wondering that what I just described sounds an awful lot like Catholicism, doesn't it? Well, where did Catholicism come from? Well, I'm going to answer that for you right now. When Babylon was destroyed by the Medes and Persians, so again, history, Babylon was raised up to judge Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were followed by the next empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay? And it was all foretold in a dream to Daniel, the prophet. What happened? Well, all the high priests and priestesses left there in, that were schooled in, in the worship of Semiramis and false idol worship and so on, they went to Pergamos. But they held on to the worship of Semiramis. And when Rome moved into power, which has been hundreds of years later, Julius Caesar had all those priests and priestesses of Semiramis move from Pergamos to Rome. You can look this up. Julius Caesar knew, and this is so important, he could have more power if he could combine a false religion within his system. And he knew what every good conqueror knows. You have to get to people religiously because we have a religious bent. And he would only strengthen his position as a ruler because he would add, basically he would mix the church and the state, government and religion. You have that right now again in Afghanistan. Islam married to who? Their government, the Taliban, and it's very oppressive. Iran, the same thing. You go back, you know, five, six hundred years. You had a Christianity married to the king, right? And does it ever work out, by the way? No, it doesn't. It's always terribly oppressive for the most part. The only time it will work out is in the end when Jesus comes and he will rule. And so that's what Julius Caesar did. He knew that religious bent and he combined it with, with Rome. And when the worship of Samaritans arrived in Rome, the chief priest in Rome took the title Pontifex 
maximum. And it was imprinted on his mitre. And the title had to do with the worship of a god called Dagon, the fish god. It had nothing to do with Christianity. It meant that you were the chief priest of the worship of Samaramis. Now, who wears that title today? The Pope. The Pope is not the direct successor of Peter. He's the direct successor of the Babylonian gods and their false religions and the servant of Dagon, the fish god. And where did that all begin, I say to you? Tower of Babel. But not only that, here's the other thing. You can read this and look up yourself, but you'll find it. Um, Catholic priests and popes call Mary, the mother of Jesus, the queen of heaven. Those of you who have a Catholic background, you may recognize that phrase. Okay? Now, where does that come from? Well, it's certainly not in the New Testament. So what we see, so we see what happened was in the process of Babylonian religion migrating to Rome, Catholicism became a mixture of Christianity and paganism. You see, the influence of Nimrod continues. And so we laugh at the name Nimrod, but he was mighty Nimrod. J.A. Seiss, the historian and theologian, wrote this back in 18, between 1870 and 1884. He says, the wine of old Babylon's fornication was a debauching system of idol worship and carnal self-exaltation over and against the revelations and institutes of Jehovah. He says, we find it in the teachings of ancient Babylon to this day among all the nations of the earth, affecting and controlling their thinking, their policies, their faith, and their worship. Two-thirds of the population of the earth at this hour are pagan idolaters, driveling under the same old intoxication which came from Nimrod and Babylon. Now, what is the destiny of this false religion? Let's take a look at that. Turn to Revelation 17. It predicts the doom of this worldwide system of religions. Now, does the city of Babylon exist anymore? No. Okay. So when you see a city of Babylon, like spoken of in, in, in Revelation, which is an apocalyptic literature, it's a symbol of something else. And you'll learn it's a symbol of false religions. Okay. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then more of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. We're going to look down in verse 5. It says, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The great harlot is referring to Babylon, which is referring to this great mother, which is referring to all false religions. The many waters, have you ever heard the phrase, the sea of humanity? It's referring to all the peoples. It says, with whom, verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, 
having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead was writ- a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So Babylon is the mother of all harlots and abominations of the earth. Well, what is that referring to? Well, as I showed you earlier, the abominations of the earth and that which causes men to play the harlot from God's perspective is what? The two verses I showed you in Jeremiah, it's false religions. Okay? So from Babel, from Babylon, have come ancient paganism, such as Chinese Confucianism, Asian Buddhism, Indian Hinduism, shamanism, Taoism, Shintoism, animism, astrology, witchcraft, spiritism, Sikhism, modern scientism, and evolutionary humanism. It all goes back to Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel. These all come from this ancient mother of harlots, we see in Revelation 17, 5. And by the way, mother here most likely symbolically refers to she's the origin or the source. I came from a mother. Y'all came from a mother. These false religions came from somewhere. Where'd they come from? You should know this by now. I keep saying it over and over again. At the Tower of Babel, where it all began. And so what we're seeing here in the Bible is a beginning in Genesis, and guess what? We come full circle now in Revelation. What began in Genesis as rebellion against God, led by Nimrod, will end in judgment by the very God they rebelled against, as these false religions will be laid waste. That is what the Bible says about false religions. And believe it or not, we won't talk about it next week because we'll do an Easter sermon, but these false religions have played a key role in defining human sexuality. And we'll get into that in two weeks we talk about biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. What it means to be a man and a woman. Because unfortunately, a Supreme Court justice came to define what a biological female is or a woman. So we'll get into that as well, but I had to set it up through this because it is tied into false religions as well. Now the fact that everyone stayed awake, number one, number two was quiet, number three, I can see you're listening to me, you probably learned a whole lot this morning as I did in preparing it. What did you guys, what did you guys learn? Anyone that courageous enough to speak up what you learned? Everything goes back to Babel. You got what I repeated 18,000 times, good. <laughs> Anybody else? Go ahead. I had no idea of this had nothing to do with Easter. I grew up in the Methodist church where Lent is really important. Yeah. Sacrifice, so I can look that up more and do a little more research. Yep. By the way, we used to do this the worship of Tammuz and of the Queen of Heaven and all of that. They would. At the end of the 40 days of weeping, they would give these um, eggs, Ishtar eggs. And their Ishtar course is translated also Easter. So the Easter eggs, all that we, the people are doing this time of year, it goes back to 
eventually goes to Babel, okay? Anybody else want to share what they learned? Go ahead, Colette. Yeah, you're doing that <laughs> for nothing. Oh. It never came from that. Yeah. Because the original was the, 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 the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the deliver coming in Genesis 3, Satan has counterfeited everything else. Christianity came along thousands of years later, and so what they've did is they've adapted these pagan practices in many ways and made them Christian. A lot of the hymns that we sung, for example, years ago, Martin Luther turned these old bar hymns into what? Actual hymns. Okay? And so, there are no other gods. Everything we do is clean, you know, in terms of food and whatnot and so on. But it's good to know the origin of these things. Okay? And you see it today. Okay? Any other worship other than the one true God with a capital G is demonic worship. And so I fit a whole lot in about 40 minutes. So you can imagine how much I could have, more I could have given you. But you get the idea, right? All right. Won't you stand with me? We'll pray and we'll close with this song. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning and opening our eyes, especially mine, as I learned a lot this week, or this last week, about the origin of false religions, the influence that they've had, and the fact that they will meet their end when the very God that they rebelled against, that is Nimrod and all the peoples of the earth, will be judged by that same God, our Savior, whom we adore. Amen.